Hey, Soul Fam, you're listening to the Soul Expanded Podcast, a sacred container built to support you on your own soul expanding journey. I'm your host, Bridget Nistico, a seeker, space holder, soul coach, and shamanic energy healer who believes everyone deserves to be whole and in alignment with their life's purpose. Each episode, we will hear from fellow spiritual seekers and conscious leaders on how they've navigated their own soul-expanding journey, the highs, the lows, and the tools they use to support their path of soul expansion. Now, let's get started on this soul-expanding journey together. Hello, soul family. How are you doing? This has been a really, really challenging time for everyone, but mostly and particularly for our brothers and sisters of color. And this episode that you're about to listen to uh, was an impromptu episode that I felt really, really needed to be done. Uh, Alea is our guest, Alea Lovely of the Spiritual Shit Podcast, and her and I had connected and actually recorded an episode a couple of weeks ago. Um, Really great episode that I'm still going to drop focused on spirit guides and, you know, spiritual ascension and our soul expansion process and kind of what she's been through. But a lot has changed and a lot has happened. And we are seeing um, the abuse and the injustice and the systematic oppression of our country still at play in a large part with the deaths of our brothers and sisters, um, George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and um, the incident in Central Park with Christian Cooper, where racism was used against him to threaten and um, weaponize him. So I really felt strongly that I needed to address this. And while this is a new platform for me, and I don't know who's going to listen to this, it doesn't matter. I feel like I have a responsibility to speak out more. And I have been an advocate and a white ally for a long time. And I feel, though, as there is so much more that I can be doing in my part, And I really was faced with interacting with the criminal justice system when I first started sponsoring women in recovery. And that's really where my eyes were opened. I mean, I knew we had this system of oppression in place. I was well aware of racism. I, you know, had explored my own white privilege and really had to take a look at some of those things. But really seeing the system at work with the women that I was sponsoring in recovery to help them along their sober journey Um, is what prompted me to uh, feel called to start Pivot. So Pivot is the nonprofit that I founded with Emily Thompson and Don Lewis. You've heard me talk about it before. Um, It's a comprehensive reentry program for women returning from incarceration. And the purpose of that program was to break the cycle of this system of oppression in place for Um, women and particularly women of color. And it's this loop, this cycle that keeps repeating itself. And so that program is the people's program. It's not our program. It belongs to the community. It belongs to the women that it serves, and it will ultimately be taken over and run by them. We are, you know, growing and getting our footing and hiring more staff, and they've been doing an amazing job. I still serve on the board for that program. And I say all of that not to say, you know, I've done this, I'm so great. No, but um, I've done that and I haven't been as vocal 
as I've needed to be and haven't shared as much as I should be. And so, you know, even though I have been doing work and and continue to um, be anti-racist and have to look at my own privilege and support uh, my brothers and sisters, there's always more that we can be doing. And I had an interesting conversation with someone yesterday about how I was going to be sharing this message on my podcast. And they were questioning, well, how does that relate to, you know, your message? Aren't people going to get confused? Like, that's a racial issue. You're talking about spirituality and soul expansion and personal growth and development. And those these issues, they are not separate. Anti-racism work is spiritual work. And if we ourselves want to expand our souls to develop um, spiritually, to have an awakening, the whole process of that experience is unity consciousness and being one, one family, one family together with our brothers and sisters, whatever race that they are, with the earth, with all that is living, with everything that is. And so I posted a quote that Janelle Monet had said um, that I feel is just a very strong theme for the work that I've done and will continue to do through my spiritual walk and through this anti-racism work is that none of us are free unless all of us are free. And so I cannot experience the freedoms and the privileges that I have if my brothers and sisters, whoever they are, are still suffering, are still being oppressed are still having injustices happening against them and their families and being murdered. And um, it's just, it's my work, just like it's their work. And I think that as white allies, we have an even greater responsibility because unfortunately, our voices get heard more. And I hate to say that, but it's the truth. And so if you care, if you really care, which I know that you do, you wouldn't be listening to this podcast if you didn't care and wanted to grow and wanted to become better and expand. Part of your expansion process is really taking a look at this work and your part in it because enough is enough and something needs to change. And we need every voice. We need every voice to support this and Whatever it is that you decide to do, we talk about a lot of resources at the end of the podcast and different ways that you contribute. No action is too small. And you don't have to be an Instagram influencer or, you know, a famous person. It really begins in your community. And so the challenge that I'm taking on for myself is where else can I contribute? Where else can I support? Where else can I stand side by side in unity? Um to carry this burden and make a change with my soul family. I'm so grateful for Alea coming on today and sharing her experience with us and being open to um, letting us into what her experience is like as a black woman and particularly what it feels like to experience the trauma of everything happening to her community right now. And I'm thankful that you're here listening to this and I hope that you come in with an open heart with an open mind and with a desire to support making a change. So there'll be a lot of resources in the show notes. Um, And again, like I mentioned, we do talk about them at the end of the podcast if you want to start taking some actions. And if you want to have a discussion or talk about this or you don't know where to start or what to do, message me. I'm happy to um, connect with anyone who wants to discuss this issue. My email will be in the show notes as well. 
Um, and we just need to come together and do this work together. So I hope you enjoy this next episode and I hope you decide to stand up and make some changes in the world from it. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of The Soul Expanded. Um, Today we are going to be talking about an issue that needs to be discussed. Uh, It's something that was not planned, but it's something that I feel very strongly we need to be talking about on every platform, everywhere, and everyone needs to be having this conversation. And so those of you who are listening, if you're tired of hearing about this topic, I really don't care because we need to get so tired of it that change happens. And that's the point that I'm at. And that's the point I think that my guest is at also. And I'm so honored that she is here. So um, today we have Alea Lovely joining us. And I am so grateful. Thank you. Thank you for um, coming on. And thank you for vulnerably sharing your experience and your story Uh, For those of you listening, please go check out her Instagram. I'm going to drop it in the show notes um, and just go check out some of the posts and her recent podcast, Spiritual Shit, where she gets real and she's going to get real here with us today. Uh, That's what we're talking about, just um, the racial injustices that are continuing to happen, that are not stopping. And um, being a white woman, an Italian woman, I have the privilege of not dealing with it. I can turn it off if I want to. And no, that's, that's bullshit. Like it's to the point where it's like our um, brothers and our sisters are hurting and they don't have the privilege of turning it off. Um, and we should not either. And we should not be choosing to uh, not listen to what's going on because the reality is that our, um, our fellow humans, our sisters and brothers of color uh, are hurting. And I did a post recently where I talked about um, a Janelle uh, Monet quote where she said, let us not forget as human beings that none of us are free until all of us are free. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> sister, yeah. thank you for being here. And um, for having me. It's heavy. Yeah, <laughs> it's heavy. I can even see in your face like where we're looking, it's like, where do you start kind of feeling? And I feel led to say this. Let's start off like this. <clears throat> um, our world is built for people who are able-bodied, right? So if I'm someone who's had my legs amputated or I was born without legs, then my way of moving about in this world that caters to people who are able-bodied would look very differently. I have to think about putting on my legs in the morning. I would have to think about getting in a wheelchair. How do I get about? What kind of help do I need? Is the elevator button out of my reach? Are there ramps here? Like all those considerations, knowing that some buildings don't build for me. Some systems don't work for me. I'm not able to play sports or do this or that or whatever. And so in that when we take a look at it, I am someone with legs. So I don't have to think about walking to the kitchen in the morning. I don't have to think about if I want to go for a run or getting in and out of my car or being able to touch an elevator button. It's just things that I don't see. 
because I benefit from having legs. So as simple as that is how I draw the parallel to the way that black and white works in our country. We have two systems that work in our country. The system that was designed for white people to be able to benefit from those who were not a part of that system. And since we have 400 years of slavery, racism, segregation, or whatever, yes, we might be at the best part of this process, but we are not done. So activating inside of yourself and recognizing that you would not notice if you are white, even if you are poor, you would not notice the things that you don't have if you have them. So when black people are screaming about our pain and about what we're going through and why we're not getting these things and you can't comprehend what that's like, your shock means nothing because like it's not even on your grid. You've not had to fathom what that's been like. You've not had to think about it because you've always had legs. So it doesn't affect you. You don't have to think about if there are ramps or not. You don't have to think about the police who are brutally murdering people in broad daylight. If it makes you uncomfortable, there's a reason. You're a human. <laughs> and what our, this is not a black problem. In fact, it's a white problem. So yeah. mm -hmm. like the way that white people see black people and look at our language, darkness and light, black and white, yin and yang, those kind of things. Um, when we say, even in the spiritual language, like black is always seen as something that's dark, bad, uh, you know, whatever. So even ingrained in our, our, our psychology and the ways that we think and see things in our neuroplasticity, like the, the neuro aspects of the way that that's been ingrained so deeply, it would be difficult to see outside of it. It would be difficult to see anything else. Black people are even racist against other black people because we live in a system that teaches that. So we are not exempt from it either. Like being someone, I'm a mixed woman. Uh, I would say mostly black, but I'm also Native American. So my privilege that I have of having lighter skin is afforded to me by the land of the people who were oppressed here. <laughs> so it's kind of ironic. I have a lot of epigenetical trauma. So in that process of even recognizing with lighter skin that I even have privilege that because I'm closer to Eurocentric beauty ideals, I'm considered prettier than my black women, like darker skin uh, friends. And seeing, seeing that, seeing that people would say things like, oh, you're really pretty for a black girl. That is a microaggression, microracism, if you've ever seen one. So knowing that process and knowing that experience is first to like, to get outside of yourself to see an experience that isn't yours without becoming defensive. And the podcast that I just made was talking about curiosity to be curious, to know like what it is like, like do we curious to know if our experiences are real to be curious enough to listen without coming to that fragility. Um, when people talk about white fragility about that, why is it so hard for us to talk about racism with white people? Mm -hmm. And the reason I believe that is so, or what I've seen when I try to have these conversations with people is that it is, it is a system you benefit from. Yep. And with it's, it's something that's always been that way. So you've always had legs. You've always been able to just up and go and do whatever, whatever. And if someone were to tell you, hey, this world doesn't operate like this for me. You need to do something about it. Mm -hmm. it, it, it. It puts the onus on you and it confronts and challenges the way that your world 
happily already works. Mm -hmm. You would have to make yourself uncomfortable. You would have to rearrange your view. You would have to look for ways that there are discrepancies in which that you've seen the world and it's too comfortable to abandon. So it is, there is a defensiveness like, but I'm not racist. Right. You know, and then people make it about them. I have so many conversations where it's like, God, like now I feel like I'm having to comfort you about the offense that have happened to my people on all my sides for generation after generation because of your people. But I got to feel bad about it. Mm-hmm. I don't want to feel bad about it. I don't need to feel bad about it. In fact, I don't even, I shouldn't even have the obligation of having to educate you guys about it. However, I have to. Yep. I have yeah. to. And I think, uh, you know, when I speak to white friends or family members, the whole premise of like, you know, as white people, we don't have to think about those things. And I find what's been startling for me. One of the examples is like, um, the Colin Kaepernick situation, a woman that's in my life, you know, was really like, didn't understand why is he kneeling? Like, I don't, that's disrespectful to the flag. And she's from a military family. And I'm like, I had to really, I was like startled. Like, what do you mean? And I was like, so upset. And I realized this is an opportunity to educate and explain like, because she's not aware of the system. She hasn't had to face them. And, you know, over the years I've had to come to my own conclusions and educate myself. And it was really through uh, me being faced with the criminal justice system, with my work of sponsoring women coming out of the prison system that I was like, really like, holy shit. And that was kind of like the beginning of the unraveling for me of having to face a lot of my privilege. Um, And, you know, I, so now being in a place of, of having to face it myself and the responsibility, I am responsible as a white woman for educating other white people, other people, it should not be you. And they should be responsible for saying there's an injustice going on. How can I support? What can I do? And so it was just interesting having this conversation with someone like the awareness of the system that's in place and why it's happening because she doesn't have to deal with it. But when I started to really explain it, she was like, Oh, that's still going on. And it's like, Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, you know? And And I think, yeah, it's still going on. And you said something in your podcast, you were talking about Trump and you were like, I'm not glad he's elected, but I'm glad in a way because it's forcing, it's forced those people. It's forced the shadow of America that's been living there. Come out to light. Girl. And I've said the same thing. I'm like, I'm not glad that he's in office, but what I'm glad is that people that have been operating without an awareness of the oppression that's still happening to our brothers and sisters are now seeing, oh my God, there's so many people in this world that are still so racist and hatred and the systems in place. And so while it's awful and I'm not, it's, I'm glad that that we are being forced to face this because I'm hopeful that now we can really come together as the human race, as one family and support each other and be aware and make the the corrections and do the things that we need to do as one individual. Each person makes a difference to support our family in what you're experiencing and the changes that need to take place. The first thing that comes up for me around that is that the, the aspect of you know, cleaning the swamp. <laughs> Clean it up. Use that that phrase before um, <clears throat> politically, but the idea is that it, this is 
our president has emboldened those who carry that bigotry and got to show us the underbelly of people that still exist that carry that, that had to carry out those actions discreetly in the shadows. And they felt emboldened to be able to do it in public broad daylight. Um, I watched the George Floyd video several times and it, it, it causes a type of trauma in my body that my ancestors remember. Mm. And so like, that's a different kind of grief um, watching that happen and then feeling even on an energetic level, your soul level of knowing that pain way back. And so I, I can't really watch a lot of that stuff, but I made myself because I got the chance to look at the evil there um, and how, how bold he was about it. This man is pleading for his fucking life. And this guy sits on his neck like he's untouchable. He says to him, you're going to get up. You're going to this. What are you going to do? Are you going to do this? He's handcuffed. He has no arm. And the other guy just stood there. He didn't tell him to get up. Okay, man, that's enough. Nothing, nothing. Mm -hmm. And there were two other cops. First of all, he wasn't moving because he wasn't thrashing. There were two other cops. stayed on him. On his, like, his neck needed to be held down even though his body was being braced. It was, yeah. And that is not a technique that they use. In fact, someone stood up and said, uh, that's a Taekwondo technique to get someone to pass out. So he's shimmying his leg into that spot to get him to stop. So he did some extra martial training or whatever, knew exactly what he was doing. Mm. So in that, and we don't have to, I don't want to like talk about that over and over. Um, it's enough already, but the it's emboldened those people to mm. feel like I can do this and nothing's gonna happen to me. Uh, because cop after cop after cop get gets off with it. And what I think is different about this one is we have the six excruciating minutes to watch and see that nothing was being done. Mm. And it's like this, you know, like uh, Will Smith said that uh, this racism isn't new, it's just being filmed. Yep. And so like <sighs> the opening of and deep clean out is essentially like what we're doing is that we're pulling all the clothes out, we're time for a spring cleaning <laughs> and it's gonna look worse before it looks clean. You know what I mean? And so I think in that process of, you know, like, let's talk about trauma because it is incredibly traumatic. First of all, black bodies um, get played over and over. Their deaths get played over and over online, no restrictions, no guidelines, no nothing. We get to relive that trauma over and over, which gives us such a high vibration of pain, fear, trauma, things that we can't heal from and cannot ascend from. And you want to talk about people in the spiritual space. Why are there not a lot of black people in the spiritual space? Well, they're too busy kind of trying to contend with their own emotional trauma of day-to-day living life. Like we don't have access to that the way that, and I'm lucky to even be in this space, you know, to have escaped colonized religion that kept our minds enslaved. Like, I mean, how many, uh, you know, like black people, black churches, things like that are living a religion that was given to them via genocide. Like, this is the way you're supposed to live. We had our own traditions and practices and tribes and, you know, things before any of that came along and it was, our spirituality was taken from us. And we know on every level in internally that if we tap into that, we are at risk. We are at risk. We have like, so that it keeps mind enslaved. It keeps the energy enslaved. Mm -hmm. And it is a greater catalyst to overcome in order to reach that aspect of love and light. I had a conversation with a girl this morning and, and, you know, God bless her, her intentions are in the right place, but she just couldn't see what I was talking about. And 
she kept saying like, we just need to like stop this division. You know, it doesn't need to be black and white. And I said, you know, I, 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 I agree with you, but your terminology is so triggering to me because it wasn't the black people that incited the divide in the first place. It is not our responsibility to unify everyone. Like we're not the ones out there initiating cop killing. Nope. Cop killing it's is our, our retaliation. responsibility to do that right now. Right. So, yes. She brought up the cops and I was like, you know, like this is not the place. And I kind of, kind of had to really tell her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I understand where she's coming from because I'm an empathic person and I could see where she's coming from. But I said, this is an opportunity for me to educate you if you're interested. And it is not our responsibility to unify everybody because the division didn't come from us. We didn't want to be here. <laughs> you know, like I was born into the system that doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. And like, I benefit from, from being lighter skinned that people, um, for instance, like I, most of my, um, I'm a wedding photographer. Most of my wedding clientele is white. Um, most of my spiritual clientele is white. Um, they perhaps feel more comfortable with me because I am lighter skinned. Uh, if I wear my hair straight, I'm more acclimated and more quote unquote approachable, uh, than if I wear my hair like this. In fact, I have a, you guys can't see it, um, but I have a keratin treatment. So my hair is actually looser curled than it is normally. Um, that's just, just basic manageability for me. So, uh, anyway, but that makes me look more white. So even in that aspect, that own self hate that I had to deal with, like growing up, I went to a mostly white school. Um, when I was in, in middle to high school, I went to a mostly white college. I live in a mostly white area. Um, you know, so there's not a lot of people that look like me. It's something that I've just had to get used to, but there are things that I have to do and behaviors that I have to, to manage or, or be, you know, just to keep myself safe, just to keep myself from, from scrutiny. When I went to move to New York, even, it was funny because while I was dating the most racist shit I would hear because men had an ideal about what black women were mm. like the sexual overly sexualization of black women's bodies. Yeah. Yeah. Or minority bodies in general. Like, because when you think of colonization, what would happen? They would go there, rape all our women, like, you know, have these mixed children or whatever. That's how I get here. Um, and in some, I read some, an article that talked about how women who were at home while these men were doing these, you know, I don't know, pillaging or whatever, they would see these women that they would end up, you know, being with or, or wanting to be with or the ones that they were having sex with or they were exotic or, you know, whatever. And then wanting, you know, telling us that our features weren't beautiful and then taking them. Mm. How many girls do you see with these duck lips? Like, no offense, sorry if you have duck lips, but <laughs> like <laughs> we're getting fillers. Why? Because it is, it is, it is desired to have a larger lip like a lot of women of color have. Why do, why do a lot of women get nose jobs to have a petite little nose? What's the contouring for? Mm. Like it's, it is to mirror our bodies, but we've been told all the time, our bodies are ugly. Our big asses are fat. You know, like the whole thing, they said that JLo was the one that came up with the big ass. And oh, that's not the case. <laughs> um, you know, or people crediting Kim Kardashian and I'm like, Kim Kardashian is Armenian, but she's also white. So yeah, that's she, also she, her ass. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so it's all of these attributes <laughs> to, to claim beauty even yeah. from, from, uh, from, you know, like there's a whole thing about when I was in Bali, there's just like a shit ton of white women wearing box braids, mm-hmm. a style that when I was in a professional environment was not accepted. Yeah. Um, or I've been told was too black or ethnic or whatever. Um, so it's a bit of a slap in the face to see how those things are being traded and commodi- commoditized, commoditized, the word. Um, 
and, and, and we're not able to fully embrace a lot of those aspects of ourselves. Um, I mean, now it's a little bit different, but definitely when I was a kid, no fucking way. Like there was like so much self-hate into the part. I didn't really date black men. Mm. Um, I, you know, like uh, knowing that if I had like a lighter skin child who had, you know, loose curls or something like that, that was more desirable than a dark skin child. It even exists within me. Yeah. because that's what's been ingrained in our social well, media. Yeah, and I think it's been ingrained in all of us, like all of this programming, you know, even me who considers myself a white ally, like the programming that we come from, from society, from the media, you know, you catch yourself thinking and feeling things. And that's where we have to really own, you know, our own shadows as an individual person, you know, uh, and, and this what are- is awakening. It is right. It's awakening for, and some of us have been doing it for a while. And some of us are now being forced to do it because we have to with what's happening because unfortunately people are still getting murdered and the cops while we're in a pandemic. Can you imagine while we're out in the middle of nowhere, like, like this guy, nobody has masks on and he decides he's going to be in this close contact with this person. Even during a pandemic, we're being murdered in the streets. And yeah, it's just, it's crazy. And, and what it, what it needs to do, what I'm hoping is happening now and why I feel so strongly that regardless of if you have a platform, if you don't, if you, you know, you and your community with your mom group or your wine club or your daughter's Girl Scout troop, mm-hmm. anywhere you are, whatever you're doing, if you have a large public platform, we have a responsibility to have this discussion and to support um, our brothers and our sisters. And it goes back to, again, what you and I both, you know, agree on is that like humanity, we are one family. It's while these words, white and black, unfortunately, this system was created hundreds of you know years ago because of enslavement and all of that, we now have to do the reckoning, right? We Mm -hmm. now have to still address it and say, well, this is still pervasive in the world that we're living in. What's my part in this? What role do I play as a white woman in this space? How can I be here for my sister, for my, you know, my extended family and, and use my voice or share the message and and it's can be small things it can be big things i think it's just having the conversation and i feel like so many people and you mentioned this on your podcast episode they're afraid right or they turn it turn it about them it's not about you it doesn't matter if you you didn't enslave someone in this century you benefit from these systems that were put in place and as a white person you need to acknowledge that and you need to say what can i do with that privilege to make it so that i'm not just free, but that everyone is free and right. everyone can experience the same freedoms that I experience. And it's super challenging I, though, because to look at privilege, privilege is such a triggering word for a lot of people mm-hmm. because it's to say that there is some unfair advantage that they have. Mm-hmm. And it, it is ac- accusatory in that sense. Like if I'm saying, you know, you have privilege over me because of the color of your skin, you're like, I worked for everything that I did and I had struggles and I was also poor. That's not fair because it attacks your character but i'm not talking about your character i'm talking about a systematic um system who who created a world in which you can live and do and operate freely without having to question your race 
not without having to question your position. I think white women are the most powerful or the most dangerous people that we can confront right now. And I say that with as much love as possible because the deal is, is that white men have forever, we've always known their, their power and their oppression and like what, what our world has uh, received as a result of that. You might be a great white man, but you know, you know the deal. Okay. <laughs> I don't explain this. Um, so women in a way have, have understood what oppression is. Mm. They've understood it. So the first wave of feminine was not inclusive. It had to have been about white women because black women couldn't speak up at the time. So I understand why that happened. But the deal is, is that women can tap into their intuition. Mm. Men can too, but like given that they've been oppressed in their uh, feelings arena, they don't have as much access to that feminine side where intuition lies. So for women to be able to connect into the deeper, deeper resets of uh, recesses of intuition, to be able to tap into that type of spirituality, to be ga- able to gain bubbles of knowledge from above and what they can do with that mm. is so fucking powerful because people listen to white women, especially now, which makes it incredibly powerful and incredibly dangerous if not used right. And so a lot of the spiritual bypassing that happens when I was in Bali, for instance, Ubud is just chocked full of just white people who are appropriating cultures and customs of the people who live there. I, I don't see any Asian people in the healing space. Why? We are in fucking Bali. Like, why, why am I only encountering it with white women? They've taken that space, um, which yes, you might be healers and you're intuitives and things like that, which is awesome and wonderful, but not giving space to others who indigenously hold, held that, that position. And it might not be intentional. It's the same thing with yoga. Yoga is a whole appropriation too. But it is, it's beneficial for everybody. And as long as we're acknowledging where it comes from and try to practice it, like I know plenty of yoga teachers who try to go back to the original, the Sanskrit, the Indian, and try to honor those customs and where it came from. And I, I appreciate that. I'm not saying you can't do that, but that is what makes a white woman so powerful and also so dangerous to black bodies. Because the most people, the reason why we haven't had that term, Karen, um, or Carol or Becky, you know, whatever to kind of appropriate, not appropriate, but like to, um, dictate white women who are behaving badly, if you will, um, is because they have power. Like I'm going to call the manager. Like you can make stuff happen. Mm. Like the whole point is, is that like, and someone said like, you guys, this is racist, you know, calling women, Karen and this and that. And I was like, listen, how many times have you heard Bonquisha, Shaniqua, Lingling, Guadalupe, like forever you know so like you got a name now so (laughs) you made it (laughs) anyway but to say that there was a woman who um you probably saw this her name was amy cooper Mm -hmm. central park uh christian cooper funny that they had the same last name i know i Um, thought thought that was a little it was interesting yeah um so black man walking in the park whatever uh birding he was looking at the birds and stuff like that and um, she, if, if your listeners haven't, I'll explain this. Um, she was in the park and she had her dog off the leash and the guy was telling her, you need to put the dog on the leash. Um, this is like whatever. And also because he's birding. So it makes the birds run away. <laughs> um, so upon. And because you're not supposed to have your dog off a leash in a public park. And just because you're white doesn't mean you get to do whatever you want to do. Because like we're, we're, we're in a pandemic too. Like, like you know, social distancing, right. your dog run off, whatever. So he, yeah. he, he challenged her to tell her to, um, to put her dog on the leash and she got upset. And first of all, she's strangling the heck out of that dog, trying to put him on the leash or whatever. But then she said, 
uh, stop recording me, stop recording me or whatever. Cause he, he must've felt the need to record. I don't know what happened before that, but then she was like, I'm going to call the police and tell them an African-American man is threatening my life. Mm-hmm. Did that actually happen? We're watching it on camera. No. Like he's like, tell them whatever you like. And she was like, fine, I'm going to do it. And that's weaponized whiteness. Like mm-hmm. her knowing that the system works for her in this yeah. case, that the wave of feminism that has come is not all inclusive. And feminism, it doesn't mean rights for just women. It means equality for everyone. It should mean equality for everyone and not just gender issues, but also on race. And so um, Rachel Cargill talks about that and like being like cross uh, all inclusive. Anyway, so just to see that and then to see the post of Christian Cooper that have to list his accolades, list that he went to Harvard, list all this or whatever, so he can look like a good person. So he's credible enough. What if he was a thug? What if like quote unquote thug, what does that even mean? I know. Um, but what if he was someone who had no education and worked at Burger King or whatever and still did the same thing? Does that Maybe, not give him the right to ask someone to obey put the them law back on the leash so they can have enjoy the shared space together? They might have arrested him. Mm. Yeah. They might have held him for a while with no proof. Like he could have been killed. She knows that. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes it really dangerous. Yeah. Because without you encountering your own social biases, when you're upset and mad, oh, they'll come out and you might even surprise you. Yeah. Oh, so much stuff there. Um, I want to circle back to um, when you were talking about um, the, like the ascension and our souls evolving in this lifetime and how I feel particularly like white people have a a more of an advantage to do the soul work and to really heal on like different layers of this lifetime and do really, really deep work because we kind of, we have a leg up where we're not bound to the day-to-day traumas that people of color are necessarily experiencing. And this was really made prevalent to me again working with people from returning from incarceration and, um, and realizing like the level of, of, um, the playing field is not even like the, so the program that we have, it, it tries to level the playing fields that when someone comes out that they have, they can, um, eat that their all their systems and structures are set up for them to be reunited with their family, to help them go on interviews. And it's like, someone just trying to get those basics foundations met, they're not thinking about how can they evolve spiritually and they don't have the room or the energy and the space. And, you know, you were talking about the, the trauma, the day-to-day trauma that as being a person of color faced with these issues that are still happening, how do you move through to become um, more evolved and to, uh, I reap the benefits of spiritual involvement, I guess I, I want to say. And so sh- tell me a little bit about how that feels. And, and I just would love to hear your take on that because there is this unfair advantage and, and what do we do? How do we create a more inclusive wellness space so that everyone can be free of physically, mentally, spiritually, and emotionally? So the first thing is, is that like to just acknowledge, like, thank you for acknowledging that it is really difficult to do this type of work when you're having to do also the work of your ancestors. 
of the lineage that comes before you, that a lot of your triggers and pain might not even be from experiencing things in your own life, but from your, your not your, even your past life, but from your parents' life and your grandparents' life and what they've had to deal with. The way that evolution works, you know, like to be able to skin fight or flight or, um, you know, be able to run faster or, you know, grow a third eye. I don't know. Like <laughs> there are all these aspects to evolution that prepare the body for what they have dealt with. So for black people in particular, we have um, systems and ways that we've dealt with things on an emotional level that helps aid in our survival because that's what the whole deal is, right? To be evolved is to like, to get closer to a better way of living or a safer way of living. And if we're continuing to be traumatized and killed and we have to watch it over and over, there is no space for spirituality. Like like what you said, like when you're trying to just do basic needs, when the country, like, okay, just, just to put it in perspective here, um, any of your listeners uh, own land. Um, did your parents own land? Um, did you know, like this, this is going into like what would be considered as obvious privilege. Um, we can get into the smaller ones, but like, that's just, let's just talk about land. Black people weren't allowed to own land. So for, for so many years. And then once they were able to own land, because everyone else who had already owned land were already making enough money and doing enough stuff to be able to maintain the land and continue to buy up more properties that would essentially bring them wealth. Black people haven't had that for, you know, ever. Um, now, just now, <laughs> they're starting to be able to do that where they're able to, to buy land, but we're still behind. We're not on the even playing field. So some of my friends who have parents who have lake houses and they have other aspects of, of wealth that they're like, okay, we'll sell this house. Or they had cars growing up. They didn't have to buy their own car. You know, they had those, those details already mapped out for them because their ancestors already had that in position for them that is a privilege. Mm -hmm. Like I don't have any systems in place for my future children yet because my parents didn't have anything. My grandparents didn't have anything and so on. I'm probably the richest person in my family, like in my immediate and probably extended. Um, and I'm not rich <laughs> at, by any stretch. So to have overcome that, my grandfather said to me, he was like, I think you're the one who breaks the curse. Mm. And wow. I thought, I said, you know, there is no curse. Like, it's just like trying to stop this pattern. Like mm -hmm. no one's was like, who to do, you know, over us, but there is an energy that's on us that is oppressive. Mm -hmm. And to say even like, I, you know, you said earlier, I didn't even know that still existed. I didn't even know. Like if the fact that it's not even on your radar, you don't have to deal with it. So you have more mental space for black people in the wellness community. There's very few of us um, because we just to be able to access that level of spirituality, there had to be so many more catalysts of us to overcome in order to get to that space in the first place. I'm happy to be someone who can, can access that part of myself. Um, maybe that's the way I came in and I knew that during this time it would be important to be able to be a voice, to be someone, to, to shift and change that, I don't know. But to have to heal for so many people, it takes up so much energy and a lot of people are too scared like it's too hard to step away from what you already know that keeps you safe. And that could also be religion because for me, like to have that, um, that opening of that door and have that, that rug pulled from underneath me of the only safety I had was Jesus, you know, mm. and then having to start over girl, there was such a, a crisis inside of me. And 
I can thank my, my ex-husband for that. Like, you know, we weren't a good match as partners, but like he, he kind of pulled that rug from underneath and I was able to start to start on this journey. That's when my awakening started. And I know that there are a lot of other black people who have situations that will happen to them like that, but our attention, we don't have the attention to be able to kind of dig into some of those other things. I think that my color is what allowed me to be able to get into that space. I'm not dark skinned. Um, you know, I have, my, my parents are also light skinned. Um, and even though we grew up super poor and, and the whole bit, um, my parents were very positive people. And so, and we weren't exposed to a lot of like when something like that would happen, they wouldn't let us watch certain movies that were scary or, or you know, whatever that portrayed black people a certain way. Um, I think that they were hyper aware of that. And so I didn't have, even within my own color, I didn't have some of the, the traumas that, you know, like for instance, um, having, like I had talked to a friend who's already talking to her, her, her boys who are five and eight about what to do when you encounter the police. Mm. So from such a young age, already having that fear, not that she's trying to instill fear, she's trying to protect them, but yeah. she has her own fear that is now imprinting on her children. Yeah. And so, which like, what else do you do? Like, you don't tell your children, like, okay, when a cop, like they're gonna treat you differently, so you need to behave like this. Um, I just watched a video of a guy who walked in, was on mushrooms and to a police precinct, attacked a cop um, for, to Four, per, four tried to subdue him, couldn't. And then three more came. There were seven cops on him. And he grabbed a cop's gun and shot. Didn't shoot anybody. He was white. I'm assuming. He was white. Made it to jail. Mm -hmm. The whole encounter took, I don't know, it was like 15 minutes or something like that. Um, Tamir Rice, two seconds. He was 12. Yeah. Playing or in you, look at the, you look at the protesters, the um, white mm -hmm. protesters not wanting to wear masks and, um, you know, going in with their guns to like the- Massive guns, yeah. yelling in cops' faces, like doing all kinds of stuff. And then now we have a Black Lives Matter protest. They've got SWAT team. They've got the National Guard. They have um, tear gas and like for peaceful protesters. Yeah. And so it's like you, you told like, you, sorry, I'm just so frustrated because it's like when we peacefully protest, you make it clear that our voices are not, mm -hmm. like, they're not, they don't belong here. That anything that fights for equality is not heard. So mm -hmm. you want, I don't give a fuck about someone burning down a target. Burn down a target if that's what needs to happen. And I'm not someone who condones violence. And I'm at not all. either, but at this point, like at this point, I am not like, I think both of us being in the spiritual space, we, we know that there's other ways to do things, right? right. That there's a way to heal and to remedy and reconcile and redeem without violence. And I'm not saying we should condone it, but I'm with you where it's like, at this point, if people aren't awake enough and people are that angry and you keep, we need catalysts. Yeah, contrast it needs to happen for people, everyone to really wake up. And what I'm noticing, just being in a lot of white spaces, what I'm noticing is people that would never pay two cents about any of this going on are posting and are mm -hmm. actually starting to talk about it, right. which gives me a lot of hope. It like, I'm just like, finally, you're finally you're as tired as a lot of us have been and as our, you know, brothers and sisters, people of color have been. And so it's time to really say, you know, where do I fit into this equation of supporting the change that needs to happen in the world? And 
you talked a lot about curiosity in your podcast. So can you speak a little bit more about how we can use curiosity as a way to start to navigate this for ourselves and, you know, support change in this environment? Um, so first thing is, um, think about the Me Too movement. Okay. Um, how women feel when they are not heard, when they're not believed and how us coming forward and having to speak about our pain and how traumatic that is to have been raped, to have been beat, to have not gotten the right job or like, you know, like not being paid the same and how that inequality makes us feel. So let's just sit with that first. So you, if you're a woman listening, understand what oppression feels like. You understand what it's like to go to the mechanic and feel like you got overcharged and feel like you got taken advantage of when a fuck boy tells you all you need to hear so he can fuck you and then leaves and how that makes you feel to be used, to not be seen as equal, to not be heard and how it, th this needs to stop, right? This is the black experience um, with added fuel to the fire because uh, in this case, being a black woman, I have both of those. So when I ask people to be curious, I'm asking them not to be defensive. I'm asking them to say, okay, if this is not your experience, entertain for a second that there might be a world that you don't understand. There might be realities that you've never incurred. There might be things that you cannot fathom that actually do happen. And when you try to explain it away in a deflection or a defense, you are trying to maintain the perspective of your world that is comfortable mm -hmm. because you can. So for men, if we're going to draw that parallel, men having to decide to be feminist, men having to decide to stand up and stop locker room talk, to stop the toxicity that happens about the way that we view women is a means of, we need to call, we've said that, we need male allies to be able to speak on our behalf because it won't stop if you allow this behavior to happen, if it will continue to feel like it's okay. It will continue to feel like it doesn't matter. It will continue to feel like, oh, well, this is just the way things are. Boys will be boys. So draw that parallel, like the fact that like, okay, as a woman, knowing that men couldn't see your side of things and how that made you feel, it is the same. Like black people being like, yo, we need help. We are drowning in a pool and you're telling us to save ourselves when we never had the opportunity to learn how to swim. Like, give us a fucking lifeline. Please pull us out. What does that look like? It means being curious. It means opening your mind. This is what awakening is. It is asking yourself those hard questions and making yourself uncomfortable at all costs mm -hmm. to understand. Mm -hmm. Because when you entertain and ask questions from a place of trying to reinforce your bubble, you are part of the problem. Mm -hmm. You're making it worse. I had a conversation with a, a, quite, a, quite a few people who are asking only because they feel bad and they want to feel better. Well, guess what? I'm not here to make you feel better. I'm not going to make you feel better. I'm going to make you feel worse. Not because I'm trying to make you feel guilty, but because I'm going to burst your bubble. This conversation is as a means to burst the bubble, give you insight to what my daily life looks like and how uncomfortable that is. So you can just get a snippet. You won't even actually ever feel it, even if you acknowledge it. But people are afraid to be looped in as a racist. And it's not enough not to be a racist. You have to be an anti-racist. Mm -hmm. It's not enough because it's complicit. 
Like if you're quiet, if a man is standing somewhere and a bunch of guys are, you know, standing by and they're like, look at that woman, look at her ass, look at this, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Let's go talk to her. Let's this. And you stand by, you're part of the problem. Mm -hmm. So it's the same thing. Yeah. And I, and let's kind of summarize that intangible action items on a daily basis. So you know, it's not enough to be not racist. You have to be anti-racist. And so I think a lot of white people, you know, myself included, even though I feel like I've done a lot of work to support my brothers and sisters in this space, it's not enough. I, you know, I feel like I need to do more. There's always more I can be doing, but it's a continual challenge of when you are interacting with other people and and getting outside, like you said, challenging yourself, getting out of your comfort zone and yeah. standing up for anti-racism or taking an action. You know, I know a lot of people, like I said, have never posted or shared their right. thoughts on this topic because they were afraid and now they're starting to, and it's like, great, continue that. We know most people are against what's happening. Most people mm -hmm. are upset. Most people are mourning and, and having empathy and supporting, but not they, doing anything, not doing anything or too afraid for their own. What's going to happen? Are people then going to come at me? I'm not sure how to take a stand. Just do it, do it, do it anyways, even if you're afraid. And what, so what if someone takes your intentions incorrectly, get educated, ask them to educate you and how you can improve your language or how you can, what's a way you can support someone. People or, don't want to be confronted. Right. And they don't, it's almost like, and I, I hate to say it like this, but it's almost like they don't want to learn and they learn from a defensive space um, to protect themselves. That's a natural thing to do. It's almost instinctual. Um, so that's where curiosity comes into play. Um, first things first, do not go to all your black friends and try to ask them about this. <laughs> let's, let's just start there because it will be your first inclination and that will make your black friend feel different. Um, maybe some of them, like I had that, that's what happened yesterday. I had, pro I could started to count them. I got up to 62 conversations yesterday from all the, the stuff that I received wow. on Instagram. Super draining for me to try to, to, to spell out the nuances of the system that I live in. But let's, don't do that. <laughs> um, first things first is go do some research. Read a book, watch a video. There's so many things that are accessible that you can look at to challenge your own view of what, what, what it is that you see. And that action step that I'm talking about, I've been calling all of my white friends who I was having these conversations with and said, make a video of your own, put your white face to your words about saying why this is wrong. First, you don't even need to have like, it doesn't need to be eloquent. People just need to know where you stand and that will have a greater ripple than if I do it. So you saying something you say, even as fumbly as it could be, you know, being like, I just don't even know what to do. What can we do? Calling your other white friends and saying like, what, do, is there something we can do about this? What do you think? Now, we don't need a white savior. We don't need someone to come and save us, but we need allies, allies. We need to, 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 to partner together. And once you've done some research, if this is new to you and you've never had, this is the first time you're like, shit, I didn't know this was a thing read a book, please. And I like, I'll try to give you some, uh, we can put it in the show notes of books. Yeah, that I have some good. really good resources, um, a couple books and some ways people can contribute to the people that are affected with 
what's been going on publicly. Um, so I'll link some of that. And then, yeah, we would love to have some of the resources that you recommend as well. Put those in the show notes. Right. But it's funny because I don't really necessarily read those books because I live it. So yeah. <laughs> I'm right. not sure what's good. I have other white friends that have told me these books have helped me a lot, blah, blah, blah. Um, so it is, you know, education. It is the, the, the pure need to understand, wanting to understand. And then you showing people how you're showing up. I've donated to this organization. Um, I've spoken to these people or I'm, I'm working on making sure that my son, uh, you know, understands like these concepts or whatever, but actually doing something and then speaking about what it is that you're doing, because it is not enough to repost another digitized photo of someone who's been killed and say, that's a shame. It's like we keep saying, how, when does this end? How does this keep happening? This is how it keeps happening. Nobody yeah, yeah. says anything. And like black people say things all the time, but you guys are not, you guys are, sorry. Um, we're almost numb to black pain. You know, we've been crying for centuries, been complaining and people are being like, get over it. You know? And what my quote had said on my Instagram was that if you think you're tired of hearing about racism, we're tired of living it. Right. And we want to know where the end of the tunnel is and the, the protests and the rioting and everything. Like think of the Stonewall riots. That was the catalyst that helped gay people get rights. Mm. Like great change needs extraordinary measures and black people being, being peaceful never seems to work. So can you imagine the amount of self-control it takes to keep yourself from being rage filled when you see this kind of stuff, like to keep your temper in check when you see a cop, I just saw a video and I'm not active, actually. This is the first time I've watched so much of this media because it affects me on an energetic level and I'm, I'm in a lot of physical pain from watching it. Um, but there was a, a cop that walked by. There was a girl who's holding a sign or something. He walked right up to her, I think her face, um, and pushed her as hard as he could. She snapped and hit her head on the back of the concrete and just kept walking. And it was, it was so, and not only that, to see the police chief next to him, the chief, just keep walking. He saw the whole thing. It was just like, yep. So, and they've been called on brutality before. So just to see that every day, imagine a black person's walk and the way that in which that, you know, um, I have a lot of people that are like, there's reverse racism. That's not a thing. It's retaliation. It's only a response to what's been done to us before. It's not, I'm like, I would never inherently be racist about a white person just out of nowhere. There's a reason that black people are scared, fearful, angry, and retaliating against white people because it's been, it's too, it's, it's too late. It's like, it's too much. It's we're done. Like (laughs) it's over. Um, there has been, you know, even with my, my parents and the hearing their stories and what they couldn't do, what they couldn't say and how they would be thrown in jail. There were no cameras then like what has been done to them. I interviewed Eric Adams, the Brooklyn borough president, um, talking about his experience. He was a police chief. He was a a cop. Uh, He was in the transit system. He worked his way up. He had had a brutal beating when he was 15 to the point he was, he was peeing blood because that they were being profiled. They got taken to jail. They hadn't done anything, got beat the fuck up. And he, his brother took it one way, had trauma, got into a lot of trouble, had a lot of anger, a lot of, you know, stuff couldn't overcome that. And for him, he was like, I'm going to, I'm going to infiltrate this from the inside and became, he became a cop. He started in the transit system, then worked his way up to sergeant captain. Um, now is the Brooklyn borough president, the first black one, by the way, which Brooklyn was mostly black people. So how in the fuck do you not have a black borough president? But okay. So 
in that process, he turned his trauma into a way of making a change, but he shouldn't have had to do that. Mm. And so in that process of like having to learn like, okay, we are coming from a place of having to shoulder all of the work, mm. all of the action, all of the words, and we're tired. Yeah. And so what being a white ally means is coming next to you and saying, let me shoulder that with you with whatever way that I can. It's really supporting um, each other on this path and, and helping and being a part of, you know, the change in the world that needs to happen together. And so I think the one thing I want to also just share is that, you know, we'll end with the kind of the quote that we started with is that none of us are free until all of us are free. And so all of like the luxuries that we are afforded, you know, as white people, um, they don't mean anything if other people are hurting. And collectively, you know, especially if you're on the spiritual walk and you're listening mm-hmm. to this podcast and you're doing soul expanding, the whole mission of your soul expansion is unity consciousness and being one with everything, you know, right. so particularly what we talk about in shamanism also is you're one with earth and the trees and your brothers and your sisters, and you're not separate from anyone. So if you're really living that out and you want to, you know, continue to ascend and evolve on your spiritual walk, this issue, this topic is part of that. It's not Mm -hmm. separate. And it's funny because I was sharing with someone that we were going to talk today and they're like, well, isn't that kind of different than what your podcast is about? And I was like, no, I hope you listen to this episode because it's, they are so like inextricably interwoven and Mm -hmm. our healing is your healing. And collectively we need to come together side by side. Like, I like what you said, there's no white savior. There's no, you know, someone helping or lowering. It's an equal playing field for all of us. And let's be clear about this. Anti-racism work is spiritual work. The whole idea of us being one, like we can't be one when we leave our brothers and sisters of color behind. Yeah. Like to, to be able to access that. So we have to come into contact with these deep issues that are are affecting our human and physical plane to ascend our earth. You think new earth is going to move into 5d vibrational field with a a shit ton of black people left behind. No fucking way. This is not just for white people. This is for every soul. So if you strip our skin and our hair, you don't know who's who. And -hmm. if there's a a critical mass of people, 40% of people who are not getting access to that, like you, the earth cannot ascend. Mm. So it's, it is deeply important. And let me just say that for all of our spiritual people, that is deeply important that we do this work because we are not going any further in what our bodies can do, what our abilities are, if everybody isn't there. Like, and that's what I think like, uh, our government, like we, we, we grew up in the setting of thinking that like, if we, our world is exempt from war. Uh, we grew up in America. If you're listening you're from America, like, we, we can't fathom that these things could still be happening, but look at our history. Mm. Like we are in a revolution, mm-hmm. whether you like it or not, you can, yeah. you can turn off your TV. You can turn off this podcast, but there are those of us who are like, we have to fight. We don't have the choice to fight and we will fight this thing a lot faster if we've got everybody on board. 
Correct. And every voice matters. Every, you know, every person, every small action, and this goes with energetics with everything, every small action reverberates and ripples. And so back to like in your mom group or in a, in a discussion with your, with your friends, bringing up the topic of conversation, it might seem like something small and you might be like, who am I to share this? I don't know much about this. The fact that you're acknowledging it, you're owning it and you're being willing to talk about it ripples out more than you could ever imagine. And so yeah. I really hope that, you know, the listeners take the, uh, you know, all that we've discussed today and all the resources that we provide and pick one thing. You could pick one thing. You don't have to, you know, pick up this cause if you don't want to just pick one action you yeah. want do and see what that ripple effect has and how much change that you can be a part of because we know that you want to we all want to right that's our mission here to be a part of this experience together in unity you know yeah yeah uh i appreciate this interview and giving me space holding space for me uh and my community um the last thing i want to say is no action is too small like if you exactly what you said, but I'm going to say it from my voice <laughs> that like no action is too small. When I, I, your black friends notice when you're quiet, when stuff like this happens, your black friends know, like your people of color notice they like, okay, you know, they're, they're not someone who will speak on my behalf. And the call that I made was like, do you care? Do you care? And if you don't care about a man being killed in broad daylight with a knee to his neck, like, I hope you care about me. Mm. And like, if, if that's, if you know me, you know, um, to confront racism where you see it and stepping up and out. If someone makes a racist joke, uh, at your dinner table at Thanksgiving to say, that's not okay. Um, you know, especially our older generation, they've just been used to saying certain things. So it just seems second nature and you might be the one that wakes them up. Mm -hmm. And if you think that you're not going to make a difference and that's an excuse for you not to make yourself uncomfortable in order to step out, you're also part of the problem. Like that fear of like, well, it's not going to make a difference anyway. So it's, that's an excuse. It'll make a massive difference, especially if you're white. Mm. Yeah. Thank you so much for, um, coming here and continuing to share your story. I know it's exhausting for you and it's time for us to pick up where we need to. So I really appreciate um, you sharing your experience and allowing us into your space to be a part of this with you. Um, so can you just let us all know um, your Instagram handle and remind yeah. your podcast? This will also be in the show notes too. Um, all of my handles are at the lovely Aaliyah, A-L-E-A. Um, and my podcast is spiritual shit <laughs> yeah. uh, available on all platforms. So you can find me, my big smiling face with my braids is on the front of it. So <laughs> awesome. thank you so yeah. much.